You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When the world makes one weary, it's not uncommon for that person to imagine something better. A world where there is no war or famine or homelessness, where people take care of one another and live in harmony. It's a lovely sentiment, but while it may work in theory, it almost always falls apart in practice. Communes and organizations led by one person, often a man, end up the same way. They turn into cults. That wasn't the goal for religious philosopher and preacher John Humphrey Noyes, but even his idealistic troop wound up with that notorious label. However, unlike other cults, his didn't end with a mass death or suicide. It ended with spooning. John was born in 1811 in Brattleboro, Vermont. His father had been a teacher, a minister, and had even served with the U.S. House of Representatives while his mother happened to be the aunt of the 19th U.S. President, Rutherford B. Hayes. John was religious, like his father, but even more so, after witnessing a revival in 1831, he went through a conversion and abandoned his law degree at Dartmouth in favor of the seminary instead. He studied the Bible, well, religiously, and learned how to preach before diving into the world of anti-slavery activism. However, the more he studied, the more obsessive he grew. His beliefs shifted. For example, while enrolled at the Yale Theological Seminary, John had tried to pin down the date of Christ's second coming, which to many was meant to be a date set far into the future. But not to John. He believed that it had already happened in 70 AD and that humans were on a downward spiral towards sin and degradation. He preached perfectionism, that those who had converted could be free of all sin. He also believed in keeping multiple wives, known as complex marriage. His views got him expelled from Yale, with his professors labeling him as a heretic. But that didn't deter him from exploring them further. He believed that his faith had given him carte blanche to ignore the traditional moral values of the time and that he could do as he pleased. His family encouraged him to return home and find a new path, but John refused. He instead traveled around, preaching to anyone who would listen and picking up strays in a way. One of those strays happened to be a woman named Abigail Merwin, who was already married when she started following John's teachings. John, however, developed feelings for his student and wouldn't let a trivial thing such as marriage get in his way. In 1837, he created the idea of a spiritual spouse, which flew in the face of traditional monogamy. To John, relationships were meant to be shared, and the more wives a man had, the merrier. In fact, the term free love, which picked up steam during the late 1960s, was originally coined by John. As he continued to preach, he gained more followers, leading to the creation of the Society of Inquiry around 1845. 
With almost 36 members under its wing, the society became the start of John's grand utopian vision. Unfortunately, John's unorthodox beliefs, especially those concerning his nine wives, were not shared by the Vermont legislature. The spiritual leader was arrested and charged with adultery. However, he was released before the start of his trial in April and used that time to organize his followers and leave Vermont entirely. So they moved to New York, where they settled in a small city in the middle of the state. John happened to know some of the fellow perfectionists there who were able to share a portion of their land and help his people get established. He even renamed the group after their new home. What had started as a modest commune eventually grew into a palatial state that they called the Mansion House, completed in 1862. And how did they get the money to build such a house? Well, they sold all manner of goods, such as canned fruits and vegetables, thread, leather bags, and hats. But it was the production and sale of something even more desirable that put their commune on the map. And even after their community fell apart in the early 1880s, that business continued to thrive. Look in most kitchens today, and you're likely to find something from the company. Some product of the lucrative business they began almost 200 years ago. Forks, knives, and spoons. All made and sold by a utopian community at the New York town of Oneida. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Since every minute counts when you're a new parent, who wants to waste time washing bottles? Transform this daily chore with the Baby Bretza Bottle Washer Pro, the first machine that automatically washes, sterilizes, and dries bottles, pump parts, and sippy cups at the push of a button. Its 20 spray jets clean everything 100%. Plus, it sterilizes with steam, then dries with germ-free air. Don't waste time on tedious hand washing. Let the Baby Bretza Bottle Washer Pro do it for you. Shop now at babybrezza.com. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Read any book, watch any movie or TV show, or see any play, and you probably don't realize that they all have one thing in common. William Shakespeare. Even though the playwright behind Othello, Hamlet, and King Lear may not have written the works being produced today, his tropes and his words are all over them. 
Stories about deceitful family members, star-crossed lovers, and enemies who become lovers can all chart their origins back to Shakespeare. So can words like lonely, swagger, and zany. Shakespeare was responsible for more than 1,700 words in the English language that we still use today. But he was far from the only writer of his time. Many had come before him and had also contributed significantly to the written word. However, one stands above them all. Before Romeo and Juliet, before Plato and Aristotle, there was Anaduana. Anaduana was the daughter of Sargon of Akkad, founder of the Akkadian Empire in ancient Mesopotamia. She lived during the 23rd century BC, but almost nothing was known about her until 1927. That year, a British archaeologist named Sir Leonard Woolley found several ancient relics in his travels that carried her name. One was a disc made of alabaster that had broken apart into several pieces. The artifact was eventually reconstructed, which allowed scholars to read its contents. The back of the disc mentioned Sargon of Akkad, Anaduana, and her husband, Nenasuan. Sargon had been a ruthless conqueror who had laid waste to dozens of cities and city-states across the region with his massive army. One of those city-states was a place called Ur, located in present-day Iraq. Ur had been home to a Sumerian cult built around Nenesuan. Sargon knew the importance of bridging the gaps between the Akkadian and Sumerian empires, and Nenesuan was at the center of each, so he appointed Anaduana to the role of high priestess to handle the job. But Nenesuan wasn't a human like Anaduana, or even Sargon. He was a god. Specifically, the moon god, and Anaduana worshipped him. As high priestess, she came to embody Nenesuan's actual wife, the goddess Ningal, hence her being listed on the disc as the moon god's spouse. The other side of the disc bore a relief of Anaduana, standing before a nude figure pouring some kind of drink. It was possible that the figure was Nenesuan. Soon after, other objects were excavated and reassembled, shedding more light on the identity of the elusive daughter of Sargon the Great. Anaduana's Sumerian name translated to Ornament of Heaven, and she had a great political sway among her people. Her parentage and her high-ranking status made her a leader, and with the help of her writings, she was able to unify Mesopotamia. Poems, religious hymns, and other works that had been lost for thousands of years were now being dug up and analyzed. They gave deeper insight into a woman who didn't know her true place in history. Anaduana was the world's first named author. She composed odes to the Sumerian goddess Inanna and the Akkadian goddess Ishtar, odes that exalted the deities of both cultures and brought them together. Her work was instrumental in building one central belief system for the people of Mesopotamia. She did this through her poems, which she wrote for 42 southern temples, expounding on the individual qualities that she admired in each of them, all of which had been chiseled into clay tablets. Many of the tablets recovered by Woolley and other archaeologists were only fragments, with large chunks of her writing broken off and missing. But what was there was still enlightening. In a hymn titled The Exaltation of Inanna, Anaduana wrote of the goddess's penchant for violence. The author prayed to her for help with a Sumerian rebel named Lugalana, who had knocked her from her perch as high priestess. She begged for revenge against the rebel and to have her title restored. In the end, her prayers were answered, and Anaduana was once again made high priestess to her people. Another hymn, which was told from the goddess Inanna's perspective, spoke of revenge against the mountains of Eba, because they would not bow down to her. After being turned down for help from the other gods, she destroyed the mountains herself. 
According to some experts, this hymn was Anaduana's way of telling a fictional story about a very real ecological disaster that had occurred. Anaduana was a person unlike any other. She didn't just pray to her gods, she wrote poetic narratives about them. They became like characters to her, with lives and wills of their own. Not many people know who Anaduana is today, and that's a shame, because there is still so much she can teach us. She wasn't just the first named author. She was among the very best who ever lived. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.